Turn to John 8, and love for you to um, look at this text with us this morning. We're going to look at a, a story that, that, that happened, but then also some words from Jesus after this amazing story we find here. Um, as we do, um, I want you to think, when you think of freedom, when you think of that word freedom, what do you think about? What comes to your mind? Across this room, probably many different things. You maybe think of our nation, whether freedoms we have, or maybe even today, some of the freedoms we feel like we're losing. Um, but you, you maybe think of different, different things. If you've gone skydiving before, maybe you think of that, right? Um, that'd be interesting to know, by the way, after the service, if you've gone skydiving, that'd be fun. When I think of freedom, I, my thought, usually the first thing I think of is an, is an eagle, Right? And it's soaring in the air. And just, it looks free. It looks free. Nothing trapping it. Nothing inhibiting it from just soaring. And there was a, a few years ago, my family and I, we went to uh, an amusement park. And they had this ride called Soaring. Maybe you've, you've ridden that before. And we got one of these passes where you could ride it like past midnight. And so we're like, hey, this is cool. I know we've got like a one and a half year old and, uh, you know, kids below six, but that's three of them. But that's okay. We can stay up past midnight, maybe to one. And so we, you know, we get on the ride. We, we rode maybe, uh, the kids rode, I think maybe a couple of times. But dad, I, I, Ned, I don't know how many times I rode, but I think it might have been 10. But I just kept riding it. I'm like, I don't care if it's one, but, you know, and just, just, but what was cool about the ride was you were elevated elevated up in the air and you felt like you were really high and I don't think you really were but you felt you were really high and they had this screen and you felt like you were just flying like an eagle and I this week the whole time while I'm studying I'm like man that's that feeling where you just feel like man nothing is holding me back nothing is is trapping me nothing is keeping me from experience just freedom and and, and honestly though there, there are things that happen where our wings get clipped we get in traps, we get in bondage, we get enslaved to things in this world, and, and sometimes we, we settle for that. We st- settle for mediocrity, we settle for, for the status quo, we, we settle maybe just for getting by, and sometimes what can happen is we get into this mode where our life is purposeless, it's, it's hopeless, and we don't truly get to experience life how God wanted us to enjoy it. Jesus gives us two words this morning that far outweigh an eagle's experience, far outweigh any experience at any amusement park. And it's just two words. He says, free indeed. In the New American Standard, it's simply just free indeed. That's what Jesus says in John 8, 36, that you are free indeed. So as we begin our series today, live free over the next nine weeks, I pray that we seek the Lord and, and that the Lord would truly change our lives to where our wings aren't clipped anymore, that we aren't just settling for slavery, but instead we would experience freedom. In different areas of our life, we're going to talk about over the ne- next nine weeks, we're talk about relationships a little bit, we're going to talk about the excesses in our life that will weigh us down. Of course, we're going to talk about finances, we're going to talk about our resources and our possessions as well. And Today, what I want to do, today and next week, is, is I really want to build a foundation. Because it, it'd be real easy to just come in here and talk about all the symptoms, but never really get down to the heart. Get down to the deep issues. 
Our world loves to do that. We love to talk about symptoms. We love to try to fix the symptoms. But until you get down to the heart, there won't be change. And so I want to build a foundation the next couple of weeks and really see what, not only what freedom really is, but also the mission of it, especially next week. And so here's what I'm going to do. Turn to John 8. Before we read it, let me pray with you. Father, thank you for today, Lord. I pray that we would know what true freedom is, that we would experience a life lived for you fully, completely, the purpose you have for us, the mission you have for us over the next few weeks. And Lord, especially today as we just get a picture of what, what freedom really looks like, where we've got to start, where we've got to begin. And so Lord Jesus, teach us today um, with your words in Christ's name, amen. So John 8, I want to read this story to you. This is a very scandalous story, but if maybe you've been in a situation where you feel trapped, and this story has one in it that definitely feels trapped. I mean, maybe you're here this morning, and, and you're like, man, I, I'm there. I just feel like I, I can't get out of this. Maybe it's a, it's a habit. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's something in your life that you just feel like you can't break. And, and man, that's where the enemy wants us. The enemy wants to do a couple of things this morning. He, one, wants us to see that sin is not that bad. We talked about that a few weeks ago and that disobeying him is not a bad thing. He wants to deceive us that way, but then when we actually do that and fall into that, he wants to tell us, shame on you and you're no good. And we hear that from him. And so this morning, I, I want to tell you, hey, you can be released from that. And the enemy loves to do this. I don't know if there's anybody here that wears those, but you got those chains that go to, like, to your belt buckle here, and it goes to like a wallet or something. The, the enemy, I, I've never had one of those. I just, I don't know, but um, maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't. But anyway, you have one of those, and the enemy loves to, to have us chained and have that and, and, and have just a long list of past sins. And he loves to just put that in front of our face and run just a screen and images of things we've done in the past. And he loves to entrap us from that. When we think we're moving forward, moving forward, and then we get knocked back. We get knocked back. And so this morning in this text, we, we see what true freedom looks like. And look what it, how it begins. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down, began to teach them, the scribes and the Pharisees. They brought a woman who was caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, it's a very scandalous scene um, that's happening here, but, but kind of get the picture. Um, Jerusalem is, is buzzing. The day before this happens, the, the end of a festival, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, just ended. And so many people had come into town to celebrate that. And then you have these people early that next morning hearing that Jesus is going to be teaching. They come into the temple. And so there's a lot of people probably in this temple. We don't know how many, but, but it's pretty full probably. And they're here to see Jesus. And so Jesus is sitting on the floor in the rabbi position of teaching. And then these people of the law, these men of the law, come in with this lady. Can you imagine that scene? And then look at verse 5, what happens. Now in the law, the leader said, 
Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? As they asked to Jesus. And so if you look back in the law of Moses, places like Deuteronomy, specifically Leviticus 20, we find that the act of adultery, um, the punishment for that was being stoned to death. That both parties involved were to be stoned. But the question here is, where's the other party involved? And so something interesting, something fishy is up here. Something's going on more than, than what we see behind the scenes. So where's the other party? And then look at verse 6 at the beginning. It says, they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. And so, so these leaders here, what are they trying to do? They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something that they can hold against him because really their desire is much more to see him executed than to see this woman stoned to death. Could it be that they care more about trying to execute Jesus than they do about observing the law? It's very interesting. In the urban city, the follow-through on such sins against the law of Moses was, was rarely followed through with. And so for them to do this was, was very interesting. There was a reason. They were trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something that would, one, go against the Jewish law. If he says outright here, don't stone this lady, he goes against the Mosaic law and his credibility is out the window. But if he says to her, or to the guys that are present there, stone her, he would also be running against the Roman law because the Romans did not permit the Jews to carry out these executions. His reputation as well of compassion and forgiveness would also be questioned. So what is Jesus' response? There's so much going on in this text. So what does he do? Look at the last part of verse 6. He says, it says, Jesus stooped down, and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. By the way, verse 6 and verse 8 are, are some of my favorite verses <laughs> in this text, when he just writes on the ground, writes on the ground. What is he doing? What is he writing? So many questions, and it's uncertain of what he's actually writing. Uh, some have taken a hunch and said, hey, he's writing the sins of those who were the leaders present that day, just right there. That'd be something else. I mean, that'd be, be something. He'd be one, a quick rider, and just, man, wow. Um, others believe, and this, this probably carries a little bit of weight, is others believe that he was showing himself to be God, just as God, back in Exodus, wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger, and he was saying that I'm God. Makes sense in John. John is written to Encourage us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So no doubt that could possibly happen. We don't know for sure. It could be a delay tactic, right? I mean, he could just simply be doing this so that the leaders think and maybe have a change of thinking and repent. I think, and, and this could possibly be a reason, that he's just simply ignoring them. Ignoring them. I mean, I think there's a lot of things going on with what he's doing but I love the response. He just starts writing. But look at verse 7. When they kept persist, persisting him, so they didn't stop asking. He straightened up 
and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So they've said, hey, the, the law of Moses says this, and then his response, his one response is, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And so Jesus here, he answers the accusers, but what does he do? He answers them with the law, and he applies it back to them, not to her, but to them. There's a lot going on with Jesus' statement. Jesus' statement here, he, he, he isn't simply saying those who are sinless. I mean, he, he is making a statement that says, ye who are without sin, yes. But he isn't simply saying those who are sinless. He's actually referring to the law where the law states that the witnesses of this act, that they are the one who are to start the stoning. But here's a key, only those who were not guilty of the same sin could participate. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 17. And so instead of passing judgment on this woman that is present, what does he do? He passes judgment on her accusers. Why? Could it be that they're guilty of the same exact sin? Could be. Some believe so. Could it be in Jesus' thinking, just like he said on the Sermon on the Mount, that if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart? Could it be that? Whatever the case is, he, he turns the tables on them. And we know pulled out of this, obviously, is the doctrine of sin that all have sinned. As Paul says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so he stoops down again. He starts writing on the ground again. It seems making a statement and just going back to his writing. And then in verse 9, when they heard it, they begin to leave. One by one, beginning with the older ones first. They wised up a little quicker. And he, Jesus, was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. And so the leaders, they confess their guilt. They, they don't say anything, but just by them leaving, the words of Jesus have caused them to drop the charges against this woman. The accusers are gone, and then Jesus is left here with the woman and himself and the onlookers who have just seen this, who have just heard what Jesus says. And then look at verse 10 through 11. Straightening up, Jesus says to the woman present this day, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you, he asked. And she says back to him, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. Think about this for a second. Can you imagine what this woman felt like being dragged in, embarrassed, full of probably regret, shame? No doubt, she's probably thinking, Man, I am a goner today. This is it. This is it. It's kind of like showing up. I don't know if you've ever shown up like at a family dinner, maybe that holiday dinner, and you're like, I know they know, and this is going to be painful. And you're embarrassed. 
or maybe you think they know, or maybe you think you believe what they're thinking, and you just kind of feel this anxiety about being around them. You're anxious, and can you imagine what she feels like in this moment? She's going through all this, and then her accusers are gone, and then left there is Jesus, and he says, I don't condemn you either. Go, and now leave your life of sin. Sin no more. Her actions, they were wrong, yes. Her actions, consequential, you betcha. Were they reckless? Yes. But what does Jesus do? He releases her right here. He grants her mercy. Instead of giving her what she deserves, he grants her mercy. He wasn't light or easy on her sin. Don't think that for a second. He doesn't say to her, hey, it's no big deal. All right, just carry on. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say, hey, you're off the hook. Nothing like that. He's true to who he is, though, in this moment. It reminds me of some beautiful texts that we find in the Psalms. I want you to hear this this morning. Psalm 103. Listen to these words. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. Is he not here in this moment in John 8? He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. That's what grace really is when you think about it. Nor has he rewarded us or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And those who know Jesus this morning, we can claim that and say, yes, yes. So what does that feel like? I mean, what does it feel like that his loving kindness toward those who love him and fear him is is far as high as the heavens are above the earth. And what does it feel like to have your sins removed and forgiven as far as the east is from the west? What does that feel like? I want you to do this. Sit back. Just sit back. Think about this text for a moment. I want you to watch this for a second, okay? Watch this for a second.
And man, we could keep going, and we keep going. And so when you hear in Psalm 103 that his loving kindness is higher than the heavens, man, and your sin, those who fear him, love him, are removed as far as from the east and the west. I mean, that's what he means. That's what he means. And really, if we, we get down to it this morning, that's where freedom begins. I mean, because how freeing was that? How freeing to, to just look at that and go, wow. And then, and then Jesus says spiritually to your heart this morning and to this woman, this is what I do. This is what I bring to the table. For those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says, there is now no condemnation. Those who are in Jesus, and they experience that kind of love that, man, is far way beyond whatever we can imagine. How does he do that, though? How does he do that? How does he bring that to us? How does he bring that to a lady like this? First Peter, Peter tells us this. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. We couldn't before. There was no way to die a sin to death. There was no way. But so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. And so Jesus releases this woman from her condemnation so that she can experience what Psalm 103 says and repay her sins for her. What she deserved, the repayment that she deserved, he takes that repayment because he is patient, he is gracious towards sinners who deserve, yes, condemnation and punishment, but he takes it all upon himself. Jesus says, not only are you not condemned, but he says, you're released from your regret. You're released from the repayment of your sin. But what's key here are in these words where he says, now go and leave your life of sin. Now sin no more. What is that? What does that mean? It's repentance. Jesus is saying, you you have to enter into what I have done for you, trusting and believing that I've taken your repayment for your adultery, for all your sins. I've taken them upon myself. But you can't just leave and continue what you're doing and go on to the next relationship. He doesn't say that to the woman, but repentance is what? Repentance is not just going back and making things right, but it's going forward. It's retiring from that old way of living. And so to the woman, don't commit adultery anymore. Not not merely because you don't want to get stoned or in trouble or caught, but because you have met Jesus and his grace and all his love, and you've been rescued mercifully by him. And so Jesus right here in this moment does a lot of things. He raises himself. He exalts himself above the law of Moses. He changes the appointed punishment by taking it upon himself. He'll do that on the cross. And he reestablishes righteousness on the foundation of what? Grace. For what reason? So that we will be free from sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. But I have a question. All week, it's just been rattling in my head. What in the world are the onlookers thinking what are they thinking? I mean, it's like if you think about it in a sermon or whatever, we just had the video illustration, right? We just had the story. 
And then what Jesus does is then he starts teaching. And what I want to do is just give you just these few verses as we close. Listen to what Jesus says. To these onlookers who are still there, and he says in verse 31 of this same chapter, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What's the truth? What's that word that he's talking about? It's the gospel. That you can be released from condemnation because Jesus is taking the repayment for your sin. And when you turn to Jesus and repent and believe in him, what happens? Jesus says you're free. You're free from the trap of sin. You're free from the trap of destruction. They said back to him, hey, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They didn't get it. They were confused. They were claiming this national pride, this national thing that they had to cover them. They thought they were free, but yet Jesus was talking about the heart, not about them simply being Jews. And Jesus answers them, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does, not re- uh, the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Free indeed. You see, all are in bondage like the woman. It's a powerful bondage that is deep. And only Jesus can go to the depths of our heart and set us free. He's the only one that can do that. Sin, sin enslaves us. It, it will dominate us. You see, this enslavement to sin, what, what it is, it can make sin compelling, so much compelling that, that it's desirable. And that's what we see back in Genesis 3. It's desirable. And it can overtake us to where we, we feel like it's, it's more desirable than, than Jesus. I mean, that's what sin is. It's, it's choosing something else over Jesus. And that's what this enslavement does. The enslavement, the ultimate end of this enslavement is doom, right? It's destruction. But the freedom that Jesus is talking about here, when he says you're free indeed, and this is so foundational for where we're going over the next few weeks, is that he's saying, hey, that doom that we deserve, that destruction that we deserve. He says in Galatians 3, I I did this for you. He says, I redeemed you from the curse of the law, having become a curse for you. So meaning, I took the doom upon myself so you don't have to experience it this morning. And then that sin that dominates your life, that seems so compelling, I want you to know, I can change your heart. That's what Jesus says. That's the kind of freedom that he brings because if we don't deal with the heart and we're just dealing with symptoms, then true change can't really come. But Jesus says, I came to change your heart. I came to give you a new life, a new heart. I came so that you'll be born again and have a new nature, a new character where you look at things and you say, you know what? Jesus is so desirable. Jesus is so much my treasure that I don't want anything to do with this sin, that sin, this sin, whatever the enemy tempts you and say, you know what? No, he is so much more desirable and good and he is my greatest treasure. That's what Jesus does to our heart. He takes us there. 
And that's what he brings to this woman this day, and that's what he offers to us. And so as we launch out in this series, as we begin here, do you know this freedom? Do you know the freedom that Jesus is talking about, to be free from sin and the penalty of it? Do you know that today? Jesus wants you to know that. He wants you to, like this lady, go and leave your life of sin. Trust him, believe in him. The Christian in here today, our sins can entangle us. They can come back and and haunt us at times. We can get tripped up during the day. And, And Jesus wants you to know, hey, listen, I want you to live in freedom. You don't have to fall back into that. You don't have to let that command your life or dominate your life anymore. You are free, so live in freedom. Walk in freedom. Let's pray.